For the last eight months or so since I've been here, we've been working on what does it mean to be alive, to grow alive, to grow deep, and to grow, grow bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. Our last series, Stepping Out in Faith, was for the most part about growing alive, but really about growing deep in Jesus. And therefore, we covered doubt and faith. Can these bones live and faith that moves mountains? So this next series, Standing Firm, is in part an extension of that. It is about growing bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. So to be able to say, I am bold in Jesus, is to be able to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation unto all who believe. To be able to stand firm and say, I'm not ashamed of my God whom I know. It is the power of God for salvation unto all who believe. That I am bold in Christ. I know who Jesus is. He is my Lord, my Redeemer. He is my Savior, and I'm not ashamed of that. See, we are to be able to stand firm and be bold in God, in his word, in Christ Jesus, to be courageous. And that's been the call from the very beginning. What does it have from our reading from Joshua? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. I mean, these words are words of wonderful encouragement, of strengthening of comfort. But the church, for the last 50, 60 years at least, has not talked about being bold in Christ. We have not talked about how we live in the world where we want to share the gospel message. Rather, we often retreat back into the church we retreat back into a Christianity that's simply about being nice. Rather than standing in the public square and boldly proclaiming the message of salvation, what does the culture tell us now? Be quiet, sit down, take a back seat. You know, in many ways, it's okay to be a Christian as long as you don't actually profess anything about Christ. It's, long, it's fine to be a Christian as long as your beliefs are aligned with the culture. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you don't talk about Jesus, as long as you don't pray about Jesus in the public square. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you don't believe that anything Christians believe. Do you ever have the sense of that? I mean, really, is it okay to be a Christian nowadays in the public square? You know, so we see example after example of where Christians are told to be quiet. Don't hold certain beliefs. Don't believe that old book in the Bible, that Bible, that old thing. We find this in schools, even elementary schools, certainly high schools, and especially on university campuses. To be a Christian out loud on a university campus, you are labeled a pariah. You are a leper. Here's one example. There's a group called Ratio Christi. It's a global student group, and their mission is to 
equips university students and faculty to give historical, philosophical, and scientific reasons for following Jesus. Pretty straightforward, right? But the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, denied them formal registration status. Why did they do that? Because they had the audacity to say, if you are an officer, if you are a leader within our group, you must hold Christian beliefs. In essence, they said, the, the University of Colorado said, you know what? That's discriminatory. An atheist should be able to be a leader in your group. That's what they're saying. And if you really take a look at the news, there's lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit, which is where Christians are saying, no, we get a voice in the public square. You see, the bottom line is this. We are not saved to be silent. We're not saved to be silent, to just retreat. We are there to be able to profess Christ Jesus. So today and for the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at what it means to stand firm in Christ Jesus, to stand firm in the gospel, to live a victorious life in Christ. We're going to be strengthened and encouraged by God's word. And this morning, we're going to work on three things. What we are to do, why we are to do it, and then a little bit how we are to do it. So that's our agenda for this morning. So let's take a look what we are to do. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now I've told you numerous times, anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask what's the therefore, therefore. In this case, Paul uses the word finally, and that is very similar to a therefore. He says, finally, after all that I've told you this, so in very brief summation, what came before it where Paul says, finally? Well, if you look at Ephesians, there's kind of a progression, three different things. There's sit, walk, stand. So we're going to take a look at those. The first thing here is to be able to sit. Now, when you are first born, Right? You come out of the womb, your parents take care of you, don't they? And they are the ones who help you sit upright. They put you upright, and all you can do is take and feed and grow on what they give you. Right? That's what infants do. A newborn in Christ Jesus, those who have a new life in Christ, must sit in Christ to be able to be nourished by his word, to be able to grow in him. And we find this specifically to be able to know who he is as Lord and Savior in whom we are redeemed. And so thus in Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is how Paul starts Ephesians. We are to sit in Christ Jesus, to be nourished, to grow. And when you understand that we are the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his graces, graces that he has lavished this upon us, 
And we sit and we're almost like David where we say, my cup overflows. Once you're filled up with Christ Jesus, knowing who he is, being alive in him, your cup overflows and then it's time to start to walk. Just as any child begins to mature, so do we as Christians begin to mature. We need to walk in Christ, to walk in his ways. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul tells us how we are to walk. Read Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5. There's a lot in there, how we are to be with one another, how are you to walk with one another in Christ Jesus. But the thing is, a lot of us stumble along the way. How many of you have scars on your chin, or your forehead when you were first learning to walk? Show of hands, how many scars, bumps, bruises? There's normally a few. Some of them are faded by now. But little kids, they get up and they stand up and then they go, wham! And they go, oh, that hurts. And then they do it again, right? They stand up and they walk. Well, you and I as followers of Jesus will often stand up and then we don't follow his word and it goes wham and that hurts but we are to get up then and to learn of his word and to walk in his ways and then this next progression so I'm really doing a very very brief summation of Ephesians here then finally we are to stand now when it talks about standing This is not just standing up as a toddler would stand up, but this is being able to stand up and to be firm, to be able to withstand the winds of the world. As Paul writes, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So that word finally, that's what everything is leading up to this point. Finally. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So what does it mean to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? Well, to be strong in the Lord, you must first of all be in the Lord. Now here I'm going to distinguish between two different words, about and in. And you actually know the difference. About is something over there. In is a relationship. For example, if somebody says, are you in love with her? You wouldn't say, well, I met her at Tuesday at 3.45 p.m. She was driving a Toyota, and uh, her parents are from uh, Ohio, and uh, she's about 5'7". And then be like, what? No, 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 no. I didn't ask for facts and figures. I said, are you in love with her? You get the difference, right? One is about, one is in the relationship. Too many people in church and churches across America know about the Lord, about Jesus, but they're not in that relationship. See, when you are in love, your heart yearns to be with that person. 
You wish at some point that maybe you could write poetry like Shakespeare wrote poetry. He, he wrote this, one of his sonnets. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. I mean, those are beautiful words, right? What would it be for us to be in love, in that relationship in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, how do I love thee? I love you for dying, the dying grace you gave me upon the cross. I love you for the mercy you poured out for me. I love you for the love you gave so freely, though a wretch I be. I love that in faith you, Jesus, dwell in my heart. I long to be continually filled with the breadth and length the height and depth of your love, which surpasses any understanding that I have. To be with you all the time. How do I love thee, Lord Jesus? I can't begin to count the ways. And it's all to his glory. Amen. Are you in Christ? Not that you've come to church or Bible study or all of that, all good things. Are you in him? Because if you're not in him, there is no strength. The next thing we have to take a look at, to be strong in the Lord, you must know the Lord's strengths. From start to finish, the Bible proclaims the power of God. By the very word, the heavens and earth were created. Mountains were moved. Red Sea parted. Pillars of fire. Pillars of cloud. The cedars of Lebanon broke into pieces. God has acted throughout history, showing his marvelous deeds, his majestic power. And then Paul in Ephesians writes about the strength of the Lord. By his strength, the Savior was risen from the dead. By his strength, he chose ones to be made alive from their death and sins and trespasses. God has acted in and throughout history with miracle after miracle, mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, strength upon strength. And it is in him that we find our strength. It is in him that we find our courage. Look, if I were to ask you, would you be willing just to share with your neighbor the gospel. Some of you be like, mm, what if I asked you to stand out in the park with me and just hand out Gideon, right? Hand out some Bibles. Mm-hmm. See, when I ask you that, here's what you normally look towards. You look towards your own ability. You look in the mirror and you kind of go, whoa, I'm not like Joshua. I got leading the people around Jericho. I'm not like, I'm not like David, David slaying Goliath. I'm not like Moses. I'm not even like Peter. I mean, at least Peter stepped out of the boat. I'd be like, well, Peter, what are you doing? I'm not like that. Most of us, when we look in the mirror, we see this, (laughs) you know, that's it. And I have to tell you, I'll be very honest. When I look in the mirror, I don't see David or Joshua or Moses or Peter 
or James or John. I see this guy who also has his own issues and his own problems. And sometimes I even see that. But that's the wrong mirror to look in. See, if you're looking in that mirror, you will always see something like that that will stop you. We need to look in that mirror. We need to see the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Why am I bold in my faith? Not because of me, but because of who Christ is. That's the only place I find my strength. So Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Are you willing today to stand in his strength and his might? That's the question for you today. And we must be able to stand and stand firm. And here's the reason why. It says, verse 11 and 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, when we take a look through our eyes, we normally see a community of people who either agree or disagree, a nation that agrees or disagrees, but we don't take a look at it from a spiritual aspect. We don't take a look at it from the eyes of Christ Jesus because the world really is going to be divided between one or the other, hence our gospel reading today. It is either on the side of Christ or not. And so we need be able to need to stand firm, especially against the schemes of the devil. Now, if you were here last summer, we spent four weeks in the Garden of Eden. We talked about the schemes of the devil. Here are four schemes of the devil to cast doubt on God's word, to ignore the consequences, emphasize the benefits and blame God, and then make you God. So, The devil is real, his schemes are real, and the first thing that he wants to do is cast doubt on God's word. I'm going to give you three examples here. I was thinking about showing a picture of this, but I couldn't even show a picture of this. This is a real thing that's going to happen. On April 15th through the 21st, there will be the first annual convention of Christian witches in Salem, Massachusetts. They will teach that Jesus is a sorcerer who performed alchemy, and the Bible is really just a book of magic. The so-called reverend, Valerie Love, the force behind the event, who describes herself as a practicing Christian witch. By the way, that's an oxymoron, right? Jumbo shrimp, right? Oxymoron, you get that? Christian witch, there is no such thing as a Christian witch, that she declares herself such doesn't make it so. So, uh, an ordained minister of spiritual consciousness, whatever that means, recently launched the Covenant of Christian Witches Mystery School to help Christians tap into magic, which 
critics are condemning as dangerous. She insists there's nothing wrong with this idea of Christians practicing magic despite what the Bible warns about it and against it. Pretty audacious, isn't it? If that isn't a demonic tack, I don't know what. Now, you might think, oh, that's in Salem. They're crazy out there. How many of you read this summer about Church of the Ascension, the Catholic Church, their vacation Bible school had a Harry Potter theme in Fountain Hills here. Oh, yeah, let's mix Christianity with wizardry and magic. That's happening right now, folks. There's a spiritual battle that we're just not aware of. Let me give you another example. There's a fellow named Sam Alberry, who is a gay priest in the Anglican Church. He recently spoke at a, uh, a meeting with Robbie Zacharias, uh, which just breaks my heart that Robbie hosted him. And uh, his talk was, How to Know Your Gender. In that talk, he claimed that Jesus suffered from dysphoria and used Isaiah 53 to claim that transgender people, Jesus including, had body issues. Now, you might be wondering, Isaiah 53, okay, let's actually go to the verse of Isaiah 53 and and find out. Isaiah 53, starting with uh, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now you tell me how much you have to twist Scripture to get anything like the fellow said. It is demonic. I myself had um, an interesting experience. I don't know if some of you I might have told. In the call process, um, after Heidi and I came here in February and before the church actually extended the call, I was at the parsonage in the church office at my former church, and I got a phone call. And 11 o'clock in the morning, and a guy said, hi, I'm a, uh, a student of the Bible. I really want to know more. And uh, I'm looking for an expert. Word of Life Church is in central Minnesota with a population 425. This guy called. I said, okay, uh, where are you from? Was that matter? Guess what state he was from? Arizona. I don't think the devil wanted me to come here. So he just, he kept going on about Old Testament stuff and just arguing. And I said, you know, it doesn't sound like you really want to learn at all. Oh, no, I do. I, after a while, I, just, I mean, I got frustrated. I just hung up. 
because it was just ridiculous. So then uh, I think, uh, you know, I had some ironing to do. And about 10 minutes later, I was ironing because the, the parsonage and church office together. Um, I was ironing and the phone rang again. Same guy. And I think his name was David. I said, David, hi. <laughs> you just called. So we talked a little bit more and his purpose was to dissuade me of God's word and to dissuade me of my faith. That happened during the call process. Wasn't that an interesting coincidence? I think not. See, unless you know God's word, unless you know Jesus Christ, unless you are fully dressed in Christ Jesus, you can't withstand things like this. So how are we to do it? And this is what we go on to. It says... Verse 11 and then 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now here, Paul uses the metaphor, the analogy of putting on the armor of God. It refers to how Roman soldiers would get dressed. Now, can you imagine a centurion telling a Roman private, you know, just a foot soldier, look, you need to get fully dressed in all of your gear. We're leaving in 10 minutes. 10 minutes, he comes back, and the private's just there in his socks and skivvies. Okay, I'm mixing metaphors a little bit, but you got it, right? And uh, the centurion says, what are you doing? I told you to put on your armor. And the, the, the private, the foot soldier says, well, pff, I didn't think you meant it literally. I thought it was just like a metaphor. You were talking about it. I didn't think you actually meant for me to do it. What would the centurion say? He'd say, put it on. That's what Paul is saying. He says you need to actually put it on, not just know about it. Just as we are to be in Christ, not about Christ, you are to put on the full armor of God. Okay. So the other aspect is when Paul talks about you being able to withstand in the the schemes of the devil. He's not just talking about you individually. Here's where the grammar and how we translate it doesn't get to our ears. Yes, you need to put on the full armor of God to be able to withstand, but it's actually plural, as in you. Remember, he's writing to the whole church of Ephesus. He says, church of Ephesus, you need to put on the full armor of God to be able to withstand in the evil day. So church of joy, we need to be able to put on the full armor of God, not just know about it, but to actually put it on. So here's the question for you. Today, if you're not alive in Christ, to be alive in Christ, to sit in him, knowing that you've been redeemed. Are you willing to walk in his ways as a follower? Not in general, not just a Christianity of niceness, but to actually walk in his ways. And the only way you would do that is to be able to know. Again, read Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And then are you willing to be able to stand firm in his faith, are you willing to put on the full armor of God? Even though there are many things going on today, the 
battles still rage. The war has been won. In Christ, we are already victors. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Help us to ever look to you for strength in you, for your might, living, walking, standing in your truth, your righteousness, your love, your grace, and mercy. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.